0: Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We'll be looking today at the the last part of this chapter. If you're following along in a pew Bible, you can find it printed there on page 946. Also in your bulletin, the text we'll be looking at is found there on page 8. So we'll be looking at Romans 10 verses 14 to 21 together in just a moment. Paul has been talking, as we've been going through Romans over the last several months for, for his hearers, it was just a matter of uh, 20 or 30 minutes, but Paul has been talking about this amazing message of salvation. And it's this message that's good news for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. I remember uh, as a kid, I came to hear and believe the message of Jesus at a pretty young age. And I'm thankful for that. It's been an amazing blessing in my life. Um, But I remember how amazing it was to come to understand that simply by believing in Jesus, my sins were forgiven and eternal life was mine. Uh, I no longer had to be afraid about my eternal destiny. And I remember thinking, I want others to know this as well. And I remember distinctly laying in my bed at night and... um, I would listen to sermons to go to sleep, which is kind of a weird thing. I know some others might do that as well. I won't out any of them uh, today. Um, But as I was lying there as a kid with my surround sound of sermon speakers around me, I remember thinking about the question, how could everyone hear this message of Jesus? How could they all come to believe this good news? And I'm going to date myself here. Back when I was a kid, there was no internet uh, dial-up AOL wasn't even a thing when I was thinking about these things. And so I remember thinking, if only everyone could just watch TV at the same time and a message about Jesus could come. And then thinking, but how do we get electricity to everybody and TVs to everybody and what would that message be? And I decided to invent the internet to solve the problem after that. So no, that's not what I did. But have you ever wondered about how God has planned for the gospel to go forth and um, what, what God's plan for that is and then also why so many people don't believe. I think these are questions that for those of us who have seen the wonder of this message, they weigh heavy on our hearts. And they weighed heavy on the heart of the Apostle Paul as well. The the context of everything that we've been talking about, which is building towards some really concrete answers in the next few weeks, but, but it's all part of this argumentation of Paul looking around at people he loves, family and friends and his fellow Israelites who do not know the Lord, and wondering why this is and what it says about God and his plan. And so as he explains these things for us, part of what he does in our passage today that's really such a beautiful thing is he unpacks the plan that God has for people to hear and believe the gospel. And he also helps us see why people may or may not respond to it uh, in saving faith. You see, part of what Paul is showing us is that God has always been about this merciful mission of bringing people to himself. And one of the most amazing things about it that we'll see today is that you and I are a part of that mission as well. And it's just a wonderful thing to consider. And so our text this morning is Romans chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 14 to 21. I want to start reading just a few verses before in verse 11. And so if you're following along in the bulletin, just uh, I'll cue you in to when you can look down at that. But you can um, hear the Here Paul's argument as he picks up in verse 11. This is God's word. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then here's verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So far the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask his help as we consider it together. Our Father, we ask that you would help us to come before your word humbly, seeking to understand what it says to us and seeking to believe your truth. We pray that your spirit would help us illumine our hearts to see the work of Christ and all that that means for those of us who have faith in Him. We pray for any who do not yet believe that they would hear clearly this wonderful message of good news and that even today would be the day of salvation for them. We come to you humbly expecting that you, by your Spirit, would work among us today. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll consider the, our passage this morning uh, in three points. The first, which will be a little bit longer, is God's gospel plan. Then we'll consider people's response. And third, God's patient mercy. So I'll cue you into these as we go, but first we'll consider God's gospel plan, then people's response, and then finally God's patient mercy. So let's consider together, first of all, God's gospel plan that we see laid out in verses 14 to 17. As we come to this text, in verses 14 and 15, you may have heard what what Paul was doing. He's making a compelling word chain argument as he unfolds a, a pattern of thought. He uses the last word of each phrase in order to begin the idea of the next one. And so it connects in this logical chain. And as we just step back and listen to verses 14 and 15, you, you hear this rhetoric, how will they call? And then, unless they believe. And in order to believe, they have to have heard. And in order to hear, they have to have had someone preach. And in order to preach, they have to be sent. You see how he's unpacking that as it goes? And his point, if we just step back and look at it, is that in order for people to receive salvation... They have to hear that message and believe it. And to hear and believe the message of salvation, they need it proclaimed to them. And in order to have it proclaimed to them, they need people sent to proclaim it. The logic makes sense enough, uh, doesn't it? Even just as we step back and consider it. But Paul's explanation here actually answers the question that I was lying in my bed trying to figure out. It it succinctly explains what God's plan is for the gospel to go forth throughout the world. And so as in the next few moments we unpack that chain, I want us to see three things about God's design for the gospel. Three things about how God has designed this to work. The first is that the gospel Is a message. The gospel is a message. When you hear the phrase the gospel, I'm not sure what comes to mind for you. Um, But it's important to know that it's not just some good advice about how to live a better life. It's not some something you would find in a self-help book about how to have your best life now. It's not even just some philosophy about how the world works. The gospel is an announcement. It is a message. It is a report about what God has done. And we see this from the image that Paul picks up on in this passage when he, he quotes from Isaiah in verse 15. We, we heard this in our scripture reading, how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings and preaches the good news. Um, that's calling back to our minds this scene from Isaiah. And you can you can picture it in your heads. it's actually very striking. The scene is a besieged city, surrounded by enemies, far outmatched with no chance of winning. Even brings to mind some things we've heard about recent events in the war with Israel and people who were trapped just awaiting news of help that would come. And this is a scene that's replayed throughout history and it's replayed for the people of Israel throughout history as well. But in this besieged city, things are really bad, and food and water are running scarce, and they're all breathlessly awaiting news of a faraway battle. And if the news is victory, that that battle has been won, then they're saved and the enemy will retreat. But if the news is of defeat, then all is lost. And so in that breathless anticipation, suddenly, off in the distance, a messenger is seen running over the hills. And the watchmen lean in, what is the news? And they strain their eyes to see, what news is this messenger bringing? And as he gets closer, they realize he's waving a victory palm, and he's shouting, we've won, we've won and you think of what it is for those watchmen, and you think of what it is for the people of the city, how beautiful is the sight of those dirty, scraped up, weary feet that are bringing this message of salvation, of deliverance that has come. You see, what Isaiah and then Paul are saying is that the gospel isn't just news of some earthly battle that has taken place. It's the good news that God has come out and he has fought on behalf of his people. His people who are all helplessly trapped by their enemies of sin, death, and the devil because of what we have done. He has bared his holy arm And now the peace, the shalom, the happiness, and the salvation that was promised back there in Isaiah, it is now here. But Paul says in verse 17 that this message that's being proclaimed by these bringers of the good news is actually the word of Christ. It's the word of Messiah. You see, the gospel is the message of the good news of what God has done in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory that has happened through his perfect life, through his substitutionary death, through his victorious resurrection, which has altogether paid for sin, set us free, and won the victory over all our enemies. That's what the gospel is. It's that message of what God has done in Christ. What do you think of that message as I even just summarize it this morning? Is it fake news? (laughs) Is it a false report? Is it just a nice story that maybe we tell ourselves to kind of get through the day, or just a story among other stories? Or is it something that you hear and you believe? That's really the key question as we continue on today, as we've heard this gospel message, is what is response to it. And we'll talk about that more as we continue. So first of all, we see that the gospel is a message. But then secondly, as we think about God's gospel plan, we see the gospel message needs to be proclaimed. Second, the gospel message needs to be proclaimed. People need to hear this announcement. And how has God chosen for that to happen? The answer may surprise us a little bit. Uh, we can think of all kinds of ways now, right, to spread the word marketing campaigns and videos on social media. Like we could get this word out in really amazing ways. But Paul says God has chosen to do it ordinarily through preachers. I find that really funny, especially as a preacher. <laughs> Verse 14b, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Just as prophets of old were set apart as as mere men to speak human words, but that God used those words in order that his voice would go out among his people. So also God raised up preachers like Paul and apostles who proclaimed his word to the world. And as the New Testament continues, we see Paul's charge to men like Timothy to preach the word, and we see elders entrusted with this preaching of God's word to his people. Now, I'll be the first to admit, this is not flashy. I can think of far flashier ways for God to get his message across than me standing up here for 35 to 40 minutes. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that even in Paul's day, preaching was seen as foolishness. And he says, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach or through the folly of preaching to save those who believe. And it's not even, Paul says, the skill or the wisdom of the preacher. But God chose preaching from ordinary men so that your faith, he says, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, God has chosen for his message of salvation to go forth primarily through the gathered preaching of his word. You know, many of us, when we came to faith, uh, we can remember how being in church was a part of that process. Hearing God's word preached was a part of the process of us coming to faith. For others of us, that's not part of our story. It's not how we initially heard the gospel. Maybe that was through a family member or a coworker, or a friend. But if you stop and think and we trace it back far enough, the way that we heard the gospel was ultimately brought about by God's word being preached. As people heard and believed and were changed by the preaching of God's word and they brought that message to you, just as that has happened ever since the days of the Apostle Paul. And I know that listening to preaching may not be your favorite thing to do. Um, kids, I know that it's hard to sit there and listen to me talk. Right, Claire? Yes. Um, <laughs> can I get an amen? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know it takes a lot of work. Ryan and I both know this. It takes a lot of work to pay attention to us or to any preaching. And kids, I just want to let you know, we really appreciate the effort that you put in uh, to sitting and listening and to trusting that God is here to talk to you as well as to the adults. Adults, I know that preaching can be just as hard for us. We're just often better at hiding it or sitting still. Uh, or color more discreetly, whatever it may be. Um, But when we gather together on a Sunday, no matter how old or young we are, um, and we know that God's word is going to be preached and that Christ will be seen as the center of it all, then we can show up fully expecting that God himself will be speaking to us through the preaching of these ordinary human words. And that word as it goes forth is a word that brings people from spiritual death to life. And it's a word that as it goes forth, it takes those who have been brought to spiritual life and it strengthens our faith and it goes out and it says, let the earth bring forth and it brings the life of new creation more and more into the lives of the people of God as we are changed from glory to glory, becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a word that as it goes forth, it does not return void. God uses it as he has planned all along to bring people to salvation and to help them grow in that salvation as well. And so the gospel is a message The gospel is a message that needs to be proclaimed. And then third, gospel messengers need to be sent. In verse 15, Paul moves from the necessity of preaching to the necessity of sending. He says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? If God has chosen for the gospel word, the word of Christ, to go forth in this way, then it takes a raising up and ascending of those who will preach his word. One of the things I'm so proud of about Grace Bible Church is that we have such a rich tradition and history of this. If I've done my math correctly, and those of you who know me know that's not my strong suit, we've been a church as of this month for 33 years. And the Lord has been so faithful in that. And we can look back and you can see all of the interns who have come through this church and been invested in and been given opportunity to preach and then been sent out who are pastoring congregations all over this country and all over this world. Even as we pray for our partners in missions, we think of some who are in Argentina and Canada and Spain. Our missionaries whom we support um, most robustly are the Latins, and they're involved in the heart of this work there in Spain. Matt teaches in a seminary, a conservative theological seminary, whose primary mission is to raise up preachers who can go out to pastor churches in Spanish-speaking countries in Europe and even in South America. And the seminary is also training up women in theology so that they can play a key part in strengthening those churches as they go out as well. And even now, that church that the Leightons are a part of in Spain is being pastored now along with Matt by one of the graduates from that seminary. And we just see this amazing work of what God is doing not only here, but what he's used us as this little church of people seeking to be faithful to send people proclaiming his word throughout the world and that's been a part of our history and i want you to know it's something that we are committed to continue doing and investing in as a church as it takes a lot of time and resources to do that but as we look ahead to the next 35 years of what god is going to do through gbc it's exciting to think about who will be next who will be sent out to preach the word of god who will be sent out to be part of church plants both in our country and all over the world. But while raising up men who uh, can serve as elders and preach is is a key part of this whole sending mission, it's also helpful to realize that God's sending mission is bigger than just that as well. And this is part of what's so beautiful to talk about is every believer is a part of this sending work that's at the heart of this passage. The great commission of making disciples is something that involves the whole church as the gospel goes to all nations to the end of the age. And I think a really helpful way to think about it is this, and it's it's a way to think about it that's shaped by Scripture. God gathers us together week after week to hear his word preached. And in doing so, he builds us up and he strengthens our faith and he makes us more like Jesus. And then he sends us out every Sunday with his blessing ringing in our hearts. But he sends us out to our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, our communities. You see, every Christian is not called by God to be a preacher But every Christian is empowered by God to live as a gospel witness in the world wherever he sends them. And there are so many ways that we as Christians go about this witnessing work. We promote the gospel. And you know one of the key ways we promote the gospel? It's by seeking to obey that great commandment. You know what the great commandment is? to love our neighbors as ourselves. One of the key things when we're sent out through those doors that should be resonating in our hearts is how can I love the neighbors God has brought into my life as I love myself? Showing the love of Jesus with my life, speaking the the word of Jesus as we have opportunity, giving gracious answers to the questions that our neighbors may have about our lives or about our Lord. And the Bible says that one of the key ways we participate in this sending mission is also praying fervently that the Lord of the harvest would continue to send workers into his harvest field. And another way we see all throughout the New Testament that all of us can be involved in some way is by the giving of our time and our money toward this sending work. You know, when you give financially to GBC, you are supporting this Great Commission work that God is doing. And then there are even special projects beyond that, like helping to fund improvements to the seminary in Spain that that are right there and pair up with ways we can give above and beyond to what God is doing. And maybe you haven't been blessed with means to be able to do that in a significant way, but as we invest our time and our energy and our resources into thriving as a church here and in our community, It's all part of this sending witness work that God is doing. When Paul asks how people will preach unless they are sent, it really calls us all to stop and ask ourselves, in what way am I even now a part of that sending work of God? And what ways might God want to use me in this merciful mission of bringing people to the love of Jesus? You see, it's a key part of God's heart and plan for the world. It's this plan of his ongoing mission, and he wants to use us all as a part of it. But how do people respond We've seen God's gospel plan, but then Paul moves on to talk about people's response, and we see this in verses 18 to 21. Paul's considering the overall unbelief in Israel of the news of Jesus Christ, who's come as a Messiah. And one of the things I love about this is we see part of Paul's inner dialogue as he's, he's wrestling with this question. And two times he says, but I ask. He's, he's asking himself and he's asking God, is it because of this? Is it because of this? And first he asks, is it a hearing problem? Is that why Israel is not believing? Verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? And then he comes to see from Scripture, no, actually they have heard it. And he cites the Old Testament, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Paul's not saying that every Israelite had personally heard the gospel even in his day or that the entire world had heard the gospel. He knows from what we see in Romans that there are still regions like Spain that he is trying to get to so they can hear that message but what Paul is saying here is he's emphasizing how widespread the knowledge of Christ is, even among the Jewish people of his day. Overall, Paul's saying the inhabited Jewish world had heard the gospel, especially as it's been proclaimed ahead of time in his scriptures and even in the word of the apostles. But his point is, it's not a hearing problem. Then he asks, is it an understanding problem? You know, maybe they've heard it, but they just don't understand how this is all about Jesus, the Messiah. And then he gives two biblical citations from Israel's scriptures to say that's not the problem either. Moses and Isaiah both show that God has gone out, as he said he would do, and proclaimed his gospel to the Gentile people. And the reason he has done that is because of Israel's persistent rejection of him. And it really boils down to this last citation from Isaiah that we find there in verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. You see, Paul's point there, and we could unpack the context of all these things much more, but his point is this. It's not a hearing or an understanding problem. They've been disobedient and contrary, especially to God's offer of mercy in the Messiah. Well, what should Israel have done instead? And what should all people, by extension, do when presented with this glorious news? Well, throughout chapter 10, Paul uses all kinds of phrases to describe the saving response to God's message here are these phrases that he uses because they're synonymous for us of, of what does it mean to respond rightly to this message of what Jesus has done. He says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, call on Christ, believe in Christ, and obey the gospel. You see, what Paul has been saying here is this amazing news that salvation from God is not something that we have to climb up into heaven to somehow figure out. And it's not even something that we have to go on a journey all the way down to the depths to find. It is a message about the word of Christ, the Messiah that God has sent into the world, that when heard and when understood, has to be believed. And belief and faith and calling upon, it's not merely intellectual assent. Assent is part of it. Yes, I believe Jesus lived and died and was raised from the dead, and I give assent to those facts. But it's also trust. It's faith. I believe that His death and His resurrection are the only things that save me from my sinful state. And I trust in that saving work alone for eternal life. This is one of the most sobering realities of the gospel. It's a message of goodness and grace and mercy, free salvation simply through faith, God's gift of righteousness that's merely to be received as eternal life. And yet, at the end of the day, it's a message that can be heard, it can be understood. And it can be rejected instead of being believed and trusted. What is your response to God's message today? You know, for some, this may be the first time you're really hearing about these things of what Jesus has done. You know, you may have heard Jesus' name thrown around all all around you. But today you're hearing what he really came to do in saving sinners from their sin. Or maybe you've heard this gospel many times, but you're still trying to understand it. Whether you're hearing it for the first time or you're seeking to grow in your understanding of it, we would love to help you. There's an urgency to an understanding this and a believing in it that your soul depends upon. And we would love nothing more than to make sure you really understand what the scriptures say about this wonderful news of salvation. And so I invite you to continue pressing on and hearing and knowing and understanding and and asking. But this passage also gives us a cautionary tale that, that I have to bring up as well. That we need to be honest with ourselves about the pursuit of understanding as well. Because sometimes our questions can really become just an excuse of a deeper heart situation where we actually know what the gospel says. We understand at the end of the day what God is calling us to. And yet instead of believing and trusting, we're rejecting it and saying, I'll do things my own way. One of the great church fathers, Anselm, said, that the Christian life is one of faith-seeking understanding. And I think that's so great. We're, we're not going to come to the gospel and be able to, with absolute certainty, have every question we have, we have about God and his ways answered. But we can, through the gospel, come to have faith in what God has done in Jesus Christ and then continue to pursue the wondrous understanding of God's ways for the rest of our lives. And that's what the gospel is invites us into. And so we've seen God's plan in the gospel. We've seen people's response. And then we come third to the most amazing thing about this whole section, God's patient mercy. God's patient mercy. Paul shows through these citations that he gives in verses 18 to 21 that are from the Song of Moses and from Isaiah, He shows that the people that God has chosen in the Old Testament, the Israelites, continually disobeyed and rejected him. It's part of their history, brings them into the exile, promises redemption beyond the exile. And even in Paul's current day, they have by and large rejected God's offer of salvation in the Messiah. It's sad and it's sobering news about unbelief. But what is God's response that he highlights in these verses? Well, God has done exactly what he foretold he would do. He has gone and sent his word to people who were not a people. To those who were not part of the nation of Israel, but were a foolish nation, Gentiles. And He, it says, amazingly, he makes himself found by those who were not even seeking him. Is that amazing mercy and grace? That's the story of those of us who are Gentile believers. You and I are the recipients of this grace of God saying, I will be found by those who aren't even seeking after me. It's amazingly merciful. And yet, it says part of the reason that God did this, as Paul is going to explain further when we come into chapter 11, is what he says here, to make Israel angry and jealous. So that in seeing the Gentiles coming to faith, they will be provoked to reconsider the gospel and turn to Christ in faith. Do you hear this amazing, amazing message of mercy that even in their disobedience and unbelief, God is not done with these people. He's mercifully making them jealous so that they can turn in saving faith to him. What is your threshold for being done with people? I'd love to stop and like, take a poll somehow. I, I don't even know what the criteria would be. It would be a fun survey to come up with. What is your threshold for being done with people? I'm consistently amazed and completely humbled by God's threshold. What is his posture toward people whom he has shown so much grace? The covenants, the promises, the relationship, the, the entire Old Testament, who at the end of the day really want nothing to do with him and his Messiah. What is his posture toward them? Verse 21 tells us, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That word there, held out my hands. It's it's used for people's posture of outstretched arms in prayer to God. And one of the most poignant verses of it is Psalm 143.6, where David is stretching out his hands to God, saying, my soul is thirsting after you like a parched land. Will you show up and answer me? He's pleading with God to come and to make things right. And God takes those words upon himself and says that his posture, even in the face of rebellion, disobedience, and rejection, is that he is stretching out his arms in a pleading invitation for them to turn back to him. And he says that his arms are open wide to them all day long. There is never a time, he says, when his arms are closed to those who are seeking his ongoing, steadfast, never-ending love. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the phrase of God stretching out his arms, (laughs) I can't help but think of how God most fully has shown us His posture towards sinners like you and me. The hands of our Lord Jesus that were stretched out, nailed to a cross, a crown of thorns pushed down upon His head, that royal blood running all the way to the ground as His body was given so that sinners like you and sinners like me could know the continual welcome and love of God himself. He died in our place so that we could receive the welcome of the outstretched arms of God. What is your response to that God today? Have you been like Israel in Paul's day, hearing about and rejecting this message of salvation that's so freely given in the Messiah, Jesus Christ? Have you been living disobedient to his word and contrary to his will for your life, saying, you know what, that's great, but at the end of the day, I can do this my own way and through my own law-keeping. Maybe you've already turned to faith in Christ, but you know, even today, that you're straying like the prodigal son. You're wandering from your Heavenly Father with choices that you're making in life. Maybe you believe the gospel of what Jesus has done, but you know in your heart you're drifting from trusting in his work alone on the cross. And you, like the older brother, keep turning to your own performance and looking around and despising the ways that God lavishes grace on people who seem like they're doing far less than you. Whatever state you find yourself in today, the wonderful thing is the solution for all of us is the same. Whether it's for the first time or whether it's for the millionth time, turn to the outstretched arms of God. Receive and trust in the mercy and the grace that he gives to us through his Son, Jesus Christ, all day long until he comes and we have it in its fullness. And as we receive that love and grace, you know what he does? We, like our Heavenly Father, whose arms are outstretched to us, we go out and we face the world With arms outstretched in love for those who do not yet know the saving grace that's theirs through Jesus Christ. May God help us as we continue to seek after that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are humbled by your unrelenting grace and mercy and love. We give you thanks. For the salvation that you offer and that you give through Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to trust, whether for the first or the millionth time, that this is truly for us as a gift, simply by believing in Jesus and what he has done for us. And for this, we give you thanks. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.